0: Today on the Forest City Church Elgin podcast, lead pastor Eric Park's message is titled, He Will Meet You There. You know, sometimes when um, Steve and I get up here, by the way, my name is Eric. Some people call me Parker. Um, I I get to be a part of this church and this team. And um, sometimes when we teach you, what we're going to do is teach you something that immediately you can apply to your life. Right Where you you take that and you're going to apply it to your life. And we might use all kinds of ways to help you see how you might apply it. If you missed Steve's message a few weeks ago where he wore those glasses with the big plank in his eye. Look, he was trying to help you do something that day. But then there are times when we're going to teach you something that you may not be able to apply in that moment. But, but, it may come to save your life someday. So so you remember um, when we were kids, um, this is a good example of of this idea of teaching you something that you might use someday. Um, You remember you you learned three words when you were a kid if you ever found yourself in a situation where you you caught on fire. Remember that? I mean, it's a very random thing, right? Like if you catch on fire, right? It's a very random thing. But if you ever do catch on fire, there's three things you should do. What do you do? I'm telling you, see, you know. If you ever catch on fire, you know exactly what to do. You stop, you drop, you roll. Well, today I'm going to teach you five words in the end that I think you may not use today. But it may come in handy. And as it were, in the same way that stop, drop, and roll has to do with fire, the story I'm going to tell you today has a lot to do with fire, too. Now, this is um, an old story. A story that if you grew up in the church or in Sunday school, you'll be familiar with it. It's a story that's found in the Old Testament in Daniel. And the story, I want to give you some pretext about what's going on. It's a story that starts about 600 years before Jesus is born. And it centers around three young men, but you have to know what's happening in the kingdom in order to understand what these three young men do. There's a king called Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon, and he had decided he was going to take over Jerusalem. He had besieged the country, and he had this idea about how he could keep his foot on the neck of these Hebrews. The idea was, when we move into Jerusalem and take it over, let's find all their best and their brightest, and let's ship them all to Babylon. Right? Because it does two things. One, It makes it so that uprising is a whole lot harder if you have all the smartest people in your kingdom. And number two, it helps your kingdom build. So this is what he does. He finds the best and the brightest, and he ships them into captivity. Now, there are four people in Daniel that are part of that migration, if you will, that captivity migration. Four names. Their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That was their Hebrew names. Now, when they got to Babylon, one of the things that King Nebuchadnezzar decided to do was to um, deculturize them and give them new names, Babylonian names, right? Because he wants to assimilate them into his kingdom. And so he changes Daniel's name to Belshazzar. He changes Hananiah's name to Shadrach, Mishael's name to Meshach and Azariah to Abednego, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Now, see, many of you who grew up in the church, you know this story, right? You know these three. Well, the Bible tells us that these three guys were incredibly smart, and you have to understand something. Before you get any further into the story, you have to understand that this story is a story about three kids who go from the bottom and get to the top. I mean, for real. Like, you have to think, they're slaves, They were brought from their home, left all their family forcibly removed. And then because of a dream that the king has, he calls Daniel, their buddy, in front of him. And Daniel is able to... Tell the king what the dream means. And so then the, the king opens up like the kingdom to Daniel. And he says, hey, man, do you know any people? And he goes, actually, I do know some people. I know these three other dudes. They like came here with me. They're incredibly smart. And what happens for these three is overnight, they go from nothing to something. They go from having absolutely nothing to the very, very top. Now, if this was like the Americanized version of this story, that's where the story would end, right? Because it'd be like, oh, well, they had nothing. They got everything. (laughs) I can't believe that Steve likes this little tiny chair, but... um, (laughs) They had nothing. They got everything. End of story. They're self-made. They did it. Like, this is where the story would end for us. But in the Bible... This is actually where the story begins. It starts with their blessing. Now, if you have your Bibles, or if you have your app, um, open them up. Now, it's kind of like, depending on your Bible, one of the quickest ways to find Daniel is you sort of split your Bible in half, and then go to the right just a little ways. What you'll find is it kind of will, it's right about there. So that's about kind of how you get to Daniel, right? Because it's on that side. Daniel chapter 3. Verse 1 says this, the king Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 60 cubits wide. He sets it up on the plain of Dor in the province of Babylon, and then he summons a bunch of people, citrips, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, these are all like super important people, right? All the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So... I think when we hear this on the surface, right from the jump, you go, okay, what does this mean? This dude's building an image, that seems really weird to us. Now, it's really not that weird. In fact, if you thought of this less like something the king did just because he wanted to have people worship him, and you thought more of it like a flag, a symbol of their country, it might make more sense. See, the king sets up this symbol, And you have to remember, he's brought people from all over the place and trying to assimilate them into Babylonian culture. And by setting up some symbol, he can do a loyalty test to see if these are really kingdom, Babylonian kingdom people or not, right? He's trying to help everyone who's come from other parts of the world to understand you can have your own little gods, You can go to church on Sunday. You you can sing the songs you want to sing. You you can have small groups on Wednesday. I just want to be really clear that this system has to be the top priority in your mind. You can have all the other stuff, you can have little g gods, but the Babylonian way, our way, it's the way, the only way. So he sets up this statue. And um, he says, I'm going to double down on this. It's not that you just have to take a knee to this symbol. If you don't, you're out. Now, for them, the out wasn't, we're going to take you back to Jerusalem. It was, I'm going to throw you into a furnace and kill you. But either way, you're out, right? Like, it's over. She done. So he says, you're going to take a knee on a certain day. And everybody in the kingdom is going to take a knee. And then we know, everybody knows the Babylonian way. We're all in together. And if you take a knee and you let me know that I'm the mo- our way is the most important way in your life, great, you can do whatever it is that you want to do on your off days. Whatever you want to do. And so that's the plan. He's going to have everyone publicly proclaim that that's the most important way. Now, think about these three guys. These guys came from nothing. I want you to think about this for a second. They came from nothing. Absolutely nothing. Anybody who came from poverty knows what it feels like when you get some stuff, and the idea of going back without any stuff feels like. I grew up the grandson of a still mill worker. My my grandpa worked the still mills in Granite City, Illinois his whole life. I know what it feels like our family to come out of poverty. My grandpa was hardworking blue collar, but I can tell you that my grandpa and my father felt the same way that once they got out of where they came from, they ain't going back there. Like we're not going back there. We're going to do this, this blessing that we've accumulated. We're going to hold on to this blessing. And you got to think about these three who had nothing and now have something. It's really frightening to have all of that threatened, to think, oh, we could lose everything that we got overnight. You know, I thought about some of the worst decisions in my life, and um, I've made some bad ones. Like, if you are new to this church and you're hoping for like uh, pastors that are perfect, this is going to be I might as well let you in on this you know real quick and we're really glad you attended once Um, that is not me Um, I've made some of the some big mistakes and do you know that oftentimes when I look back at the mistakes in my life that what was at the center of the biggest mistakes was um, fear fear afraid of losing something or, or afraid of what someone might think or afraid that I'm not good enough just fear And I think this is why in Scripture, over 80 times, you hear this phrase, fear not, right? Fear. It can be at the heart of some of the worst decisions we make. And I think when it comes to blessing, it's really interesting. Oftentimes, there is a fear attached to the things that God blesses us, right? That almost there's a flip. You start serving the blesser, he brings blessing, and then you start serving the blessing, I'm gonna go there in a minute, but I want to pick up the story. So, the Bible tells us Nebuchadnezzar says, "This is what's gonna happen. We're gonna blow all these trumpets. We're gonna make a bunch of sound, and everybody in the kingdom, they're gonna take a knee." These three guys know they gotta take a knee. They gotta take a knee. Horns blow, music sounds. Those three don't take a knee. Well, in verse uh, in verse nine. Some tattletales come to let them know. It says in verse 16, actually, um, Shadrach, Meshach, actually, stay in verse 9. I'll come to verse 16. In verse 9, some tattletales come to tell the king, hey, listen, you know how you wanted everybody to take a knee? There were some guys They didn't take a knee. They didn't do what you said. Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. He's like, how in the world can the three guys that I brought into this space, who I've taught them everything that they know, I've given them, this kingdom has given them everything they know. It's blessed them. How can they not take a knee? How can they not pledge allegiance to this thing? Don't they understand? They have what they have because they live here. So he calls the three in front of him. He says, Look, 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 don't get this twisted. I love you. You're great. But the highest value in this kingdom is the Babylonian way. You have to take a knee. If you don't take a knee, I'm going to throw you into a furnace. You're gone. And in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I love this moment. I love this moment. They look back at the king, and they reply to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, look, we don't have to defend ourselves. Like, they're not going to go, hey, we're not going to tell you why we didn't take a knee. We're not going to defend ourselves. Here's what you need to know. If you throw us into this blazing furnace, if you kick us out of Babylon, if you kill us, the God we serve, he can deliver us. In other words, the blessing that we have, it didn't come from Babylon. It didn't come from here. You may think it did, but it was always sourced from him, through him. He'll deliver us from this. He'll deliver us from you. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you set up. We, we love the blessing that came here, but this isn't, this isn't our ultimate priority. You know, I think sometimes, and this really matters for a city church, I think sometimes success and blessing have a way of ruining us. Seriously, I think I've seen more destinies thwarted with a tiny bit of success than a bunch of failure. Let's think about it. You're these three, or you think about your life, you get a little bit of blessing, and we spend much of our time trying to figure out ways to protect all the blessing that God brought our way. So we build walls around it, firewalls around it. We're like, no, 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 no. I can't let this go. I can't let this go. It's like, before I had something, faith was easy. Then I got something, and faith became really hard. Being generous became really hard. Living open-handed became really hard. And I think sometimes we look at our lives, we look at the blessing, and we say, I I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to that. I, I like this blessing. You know, Jesus says this. He says, in this life, you will have storms. Let me replace that with, in this life, you will have fires. In this life, you will. I think sometimes we think the great promise of walking with Jesus is that there won't be fires. That that actually, the whole point of walking with Jesus is somehow fire avoidance. And then we start to structure our lives in such a way that we just become fire avoiders. No risk. No, 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 no. Not doing that. Mm -mm. We begin to find ways that the primary goal of our life is just fire avoidance, like protection of the things we have at all costs. And we start to pray prayers like, God, will you just deliver me from discomfort and inconvenience? We start to live our lives in such a way that we just want smooth and easy and comfortable. God, just remove obstacles, please. We know that God brings blessing. We've seen it, many of us in our lives. But it's the great assumption in our lives that the story ends with the blessing, that when the fires come, we get really messed up, right? Because we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought it was just about prosperity. I thought it was just about getting some stuff. I thought it was just about the blessing. I didn't know I was going to get sick. I I thought I wouldn't have any pain if I followed Jesus. And if you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're sitting in this moment, right, when, when this king is flipping out And you're saying, okay, it's cool. But we're still going to do the right thing. But I bet you God doesn't throw us in that fire. I mean, now, I don't know this. I have to be really careful here because I'm just going to tell you, sometimes we're going to be right in Scripture and then sometimes we're going to go right into my mind and we need to delineate the two, okay? But I'm going to tell you, like, if it was me and I was thinking about this story, these three dudes, young guys, seems to me like they do the right thing. They expect what I would, th- would expect. When I do the right thing, God would then keep me out of the fire, right? Like, that's what I would think. Like, I'm going to do the right thing, Lord. You're so proud. You're, you're not going to throw me in that fire. And, and then what, what the Bible tells us is actually that Nebuchadnezzar gets more mad. In verse 19, he says, he orders the furnace to heat seven times hotter than usual, which I honestly on the surface I'm like that's like one of those parenting moments that's how I know Nebuchadnezzar must have been close to these guys because haven't you had a point with your kids where you just lose it and you're like you're grounded for 20 years (laughs) like seven times hotter is pretty much like 20 years because you only need one times hotter to die you don't need the seven so he fires the furnace up he's getting really angry and you can almost see these guys going we're not going to get thrown in we're not going to get thrown in. It's not going to happen. It can happen. And, and you can almost imagine they're getting drugged up there. They're getting bound up. They're like, guys, don't worry. I'm not going to get thrown in the fire. They get close to the fire. They start to feel the heat. They can feel the heat. And they're like, it's all good. Don't worry. Dude, boys, stand strong. stand strong. And then they get really close. And you have to imagine like right before that, that it's all going down. They're, they're starting to worry because the guys that are carrying them up there, the Bible tells us the heat kills them. And then you have to imagine this moment when they're so confident, they did the right thing, the fire, there's no way this is going to touch us. And as they're gliding through the air towards the fire, looking at each other going, "Uh uh-oh. We're going in the fire. They did the right thing. And they got thrown in the fire. They did the right thing. And they still got thrown in the fire. Growing up, back in the day, I grew up, I'm a kid of the 80s, you know, like before Palm Pilots and, you know, like gadgets. We had these things to keep track of time, they were called calendars. Anybody (laughs) ever heard of those? Right? You would put them on the fridge with magnets. And my mom had a calendar every year, a big one. She would put it on the fridge, and she would use that calendar to write to-dos and notes and all the things that were important to the family. But one thing she did in particular that I always remembered is she would take one of those red Crayola markers, and she would always circle the most important dates with that red Crayola marker. So the first day of school... Or like family vacation, it'd be a whole week. But we always knew that something was really important on the calendar with that big red circle. And I was thinking about this story. And I'm telling you, I don't believe that God has an actual calendar up next to him. But I wondered, like, in these moments when Jesus said, look, fire will come, storms will come. But I tell you this so that you may have peace. What brings me peace is knowing that maybe, like when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being thrown into the furnace, he wasn't forgetting about them. When we get thrown into fire, we often go, where are you? How? Wait, what? Wait, what? When we lose the business or we get the diagnosis, we're like, wait, wait, what? I didn't think this was coming. And I almost think that maybe... It's as if God has that calendar and that date, whatever that date was for those three boys, he had actually circled it on his calendar. He hadn't forgotten. He knew exactly what was coming. And the circle was, I'm, I'm going to meet you there, boys. I'm going to meet you there. I love how Psalm 31:24 puts it. It says, be brave, be strong, don't give up. Expect God to get there soon. I told you about my, my grandpa, my dad, and you can imagine like growing up in Granite City, Illinois, grandson of a steel mill worker, like there was some rough neighborhoods. One of the things my dad always taught me as a kid, he said, listen, son, there's some things I'm going to teach you. There's some things that I expect of you. But I can tell you one thing. You can never be a person who sees injustice and doesn't do something about it. You don't get to do that. You don't get a pass, right? Yeah, my pops was pretty smart. And I remember in third grade when, the lessons your dad teach you kind of come up in unexpected ways because every school has a bully. Now, I'm going to tell you how I remember it in third grade, and maybe it wasn't nearly as big as this story might seem, but in third grade, it seemed this big. There was a kid, his name was Mikey. And Mikey in third grade was like, you know, sometimes in third grade, there's a few of these kids that got into nuclear matter, and they grow really fast, right? They're huge and shaving, right? This was Mikey. And Mikey bullied everybody, third grade. I remember one day in particular, I'm walking around the corner and I see Mikey and his henchmen. I don't know why bullies always travel in packs of three, but these did. And all of them were on this little tiny guy in a corner. I knew who that guy was. And I remember thinking even in third grade, there's some things you never forget. And I remember the moment when I saw it, and I my dad's my dad's voice in my head was like, son, you, you can't walk past injustice. You don't get to do that. And so I remember like I'm I'm tiny. I'm tiny. I'm in third grade. I might have weighed like 22 pounds. Right? Soaking wet. I walk over and, and my brain, my heart is racing in third grade. And I remember walking up to Mikey as they're on this kid, on him. And I remember going, Mikey, 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 stop. And that big giant kid looked down at me. He's like, what are you, you going to do? about it? And, and he had a point. Uh, I thought about it, and whatever came out next was just training from my father. I said what a third-grade kid probably shouldn't say. I'm like, I'll show you this afternoon on the playground. Meet me after school. Mikey looked at me, and he was like, okay. And as he left, I went and threw up because I knew I was going to die that day, right? Right? I remember getting on my bike after school. This is all I thought about. And and I drove to my dad's office and I burst into his office. I'm like, dad, remember how that thing you said about injustice and like, you know, whenever somebody's picking on somebody Well, um, uh, so I did that today and I told Mikey he had to stop and he did stop and he did stop. And then I told him I was going to meet him on the playground, you know? Right. And so that's what I'm supposed to go do right now. And what I was hoping is, is my dad was going to be like, son, good job. You did the right thing. You don't need to go to the playground. Instead he goes, okay, well you should probably get going then. I was like, okay. So I got on my bike and I rode my bike to the playground. And there was Mikey and his henchmen. They're waiting for me. Grand City, Illinois, Parkview Elementary. I'll never forget it. I came walking out all by myself, put my bike down, and I'm walking to a certain death. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And in third grade, you are like, like you look back as a parent and you're like, you're not going to die. It's probably going to hurt. It's probably not going to die. But at third grade, I'm like, I'm going to die. This is my fiery furnace. It's over. So I walk out there, and Mikey's so happy, right? He's like, Price said something like, you're going to die, right? And I don't know what happened. And I'm not advocating that we should teach our children to go fight. I'm not advocating any of those things. So, you know, just send an email to Steve and tell him um, how angry you are. But, but I got there, and something took over in me, and I found myself in a moment of fury that all 22 pounds wrapped on the back of Mikey, right? And he's swinging around trying to get me off. And I'm just holding on for dear life. Well, both of his henchmen, they jump in like henchmen do. And soon, all three of them took 22 pounds of me and put me on the ground, and they were all on top of me. And I knew this was it for me, right? I was thinking about my obituary and what it would read, and I knew this was over. I felt these... Third grader kicks and punches, and they were on top of me. And then I remember, I remember, I still remember it. I'm telling you guys, I remember it. It was like there was a blur. I could see, like, something moving from underneath the pile, right? Between the cracks of my hands as I was trying to guard my face, I see this, like, force coming across a field. And all of a sudden, one kid flies off the top of me. It's like a super force. And then the second one flies off me. And then the third one flies off me. I look up and it's my pop. He's there. And I was like, oh my gosh, my dad just saved me. He just, what are you doing here? How'd you get here? Well, he had followed me when I rode my bike and he'd been sitting out on the street watching. And I remember thinking, oh, dad, you you saved me. We can go home. And what happened next was amazing because my dad said, no, 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 boys, not today. Not like this. And I knew he'd put his arm on my shoulder and we'd go back to the car. But what he said next surprised me because he said, yeah, not like this. If you're going to fight my son today, you're going to do it one at a time. boys got on their bikes and that was the end of it. Mikey didn't, didn't ever mess with me again, but this is what I learned about that moment. There's almost nothing I couldn't do when my dad was with me as a kid, almost nothing. I was afraid of nothing when my dad was there, right? Like those three that were murderous became so small when my dad was standing right next to me. And I thought about those three because the Bible tells us in verse 25 of Daniel chapter 3 that they looked in and they saw four men walking around the fire and they were unburned, unharmed, unbound, and the fourth, Nebuchadnezzar says, looks like looks like the Son of God. You know, fire, regardless, is hot. And we're trained from an early age get away from hot things. I thought, isn't it interesting? Because I can tell you that if I was in the fire and and my ropes came off and and I'm standing there still alive after thinking I'm dead, the first thing I might think to do is to get out of the fire. Get out. Get out, right? It's get out of here. And yet, isn't it interesting that they're still in the fire? They didn't leave it they're in the fire and I wonder is it because at the safest place in the world is wherever Jesus is even if it's in the middle of a fire isn't the safest place in the whole wide world wherever he is even if it's in the middle of our storm our mess our sickness all of it isn't that it That's why Isaiah 43 says it this way. It says, don't fear. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. You're mine. And I'll meet you there. See, here's what I know, Forest City Church. Some of you, man, you are living the dream right now. And I'm so happy. That's good. Things are so great. Some of us, we can feel the heat. We don't know Why? But something doesn't seem right. And then others of us, we are in the fire today. Now, I don't know where you're at, but this is why I believe this message is like stop, drop, and roll. Because if you can remember this one thing, that no matter what you face, no matter where you go, no matter how hot it gets, that he'll meet you there, it can change everything. He's going to meet you there, wherever you're there is. He's on his way if you're in there. He's coming. If you think, oh, I'm all by myself and I'm all bound up, I'm telling you, he is on his way. And when you get thrown in the fire, let me tell you something. All you have to hold on to is this. He's going to meet me here. He's going to meet me here. He's going to meet me here. I don't know when he's coming. The date's on the calendar. He circled it up there. It's in red Crayola. He's coming. My dad's coming. He's coming. Hold on to that truth. We will have trouble, but we can have peace. Why? Why? Because in the midst of whatever you face, he'll meet you there. He's going to meet you there. We're going to end today, and I want you to reflect on just that. I want this to be as natural to you as stop, drop, and roll. Because the truth is, fires are coming. It happens. We've all faced it. Steve posted something so nice um, this morning on Instagram. And the truth is, like, the last two years for me, the last three years for him, We know, we know. But everything you thought was so like together comes undone. When fire engulfs everything you've built your life around. What I can tell you is, I'm not preaching to you. I'm telling you what I know right now is he'll meet you there. Why? Because that's what he promised. He's going to meet you there. Will you stand with me? And we're going to sing a closing worship song together. I think it's a perfect song to end. I want you to know that whatever you're dealing with, wherever you're at, he's on his way. He's on his way. You can trust it. Amen. Let's worship together. You've been listening to lead pastor Eric Park's message titled, He Will Meet You There.